Hey, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, depending on when you're watching this edition of Hypnosis Live. As you probably already know if you've seen this show before, my name is Alex Williams, the British bad boy of hypnosis, and it's my delight and pleasure and honour this week to have a gentleman on the show who is the author of books such as Invisible Influence, The Psychology of Persuasion, the new hypnotherapy handbook, Covert Hypnosis and Operator's Manual, and so many others that you can find going on Amazon and major bookstores that are here for the entire interview name in the midst, if I did that. He is a master of verbal, non-verbal, and all other forms of persuasion and influence. Please welcome to the show, Mr. Kevin Hogan. Boy, it is good to see you and good to be with you today. How have you been? I'm great, thanks, Kevin. Uh, I believe as we speak on, as we record this on the 26th of January 2020, for anyone watching it in the future, that you're currently um, moving around, but you're currently in Paris. I'm in Paris today. We arrived this morning and uh, it's lovely. And I've, you know, I've, I've been to the airport here, but the experience of life has told me to never leave the airport because you may never get back in at Paris, at CDG. And uh, it's, I tell you what, it's this is fabulous. I've I've never been to Paris the city itself, and uh, I'm ha we're having a great time. It's superb. Excellent. So look, let's get started because we've only got sixty minutes. And it always runs away. I've been finding in these interviews, and I want to get as much uh, pick your brain as much as I can for the people watching. So let's start off with the question I ask everyone, which is obviously today you are Kevin Organ, the internationally renowned best-selling author, presenter. Uh, an expert in persuasion, but there was a time in your life when you weren't. So what was your journey to get to where you are now? The shortest story is, is that um, when I was a little kid, I grew up in Chicago. And because we were, we were basically, it was a very impoverished way to live. I had to figure out ways to make money. And I think the most interesting thing I found was that different people respond to me differently when I said, hey, can you buy my greeting cards? Can I shovel your driveway? Can I cut your grass? Can I do anything possible to like do something of value for you? And I, I was eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 years old as I would uh, figure out how to persuade people to hire me to do the work for them and then get back again. Mm -hmm. As So I started out like that. And then as, as life went on, I had all kinds of different jobs, you know, real life jobs and entrepreneurial jobs. And then I wrote The Psychology of Persuasion. The Psychology of Persuasion came along, and then on January 26th, this very day in 1998, the New York Times called and said, Dr. Kevin Hogan, this is Rita Delfiner with the New York Post, New York Post, actually. She said, we would like to uh, get your opinion on whether Dr. Bill Clinton, the president of the United States, had an affair with an office intern. And I said, okay, why and how do you know me? <laughs> mm -hmm. I mean, they'd written maybe three books at the time, Jonathan, and they weren't selling, okay? They weren't selling. Oh. Rita Delphine at the post at one of the books. And and within this book, by the way, The Psychology of Persuasion is various techniques from hypnosis, neurolinguistic programming, and traditional influence, you know, science. Yes. Sort of, I, I sort of shuffled the cards and I put them all together. And it was turned to be a pretty good book. Rita Delphine at the post ended up with a copy. The, the rest of the story goes like this. I went out live uh, the next morning. The, the newspaper article printed that Dr. Kevin Hogan says that Bill Clinton did indeed have an office an affair with the office intern, Monica Lewinsky. I was terrified. I was terrified. Like, oh, my God. My grandmother calls me up on the phone. She says, Kevin, you know, the president, he's got he's got 
friends in high places. I was like, but isn't he the president? Yeah. <laughs> like, there are no other places. So, <laughs> so anyway, so, so that was the deal. So from there, it was within 24 hours, the world knew my name. Before that, no one knew my name. And it was that moment in time that triggered the awareness of the name. Of, of the name. And so that was sort of the, the turning point. There's a few others, but that was the that was the key mm-hmm. turning point. Now, I think, I mean, yeah, there's an element of luck there and timing does come into it sometimes. But, I mean, ultimately, I have read a number of your books and The Psychology of Persuasion is a bloody damn good book. So Thank sooner you. or later, it will probably have got reviewed by somebody who then had spoke to a journalist and something would have happened. Because that tends to be if you publish a book, you end up sooner or later getting seen as a expert in that field. Yeah, exactly. Um, That's ex- so you've ended up now, or you, you you speak uh, at conferences for corporate companies. I mean, how did that come about? Was that on the back of publicity? You know, the a few weeks after uh, the Bill Clinton. Uh, scandal what it turned out to be a disaster started out um the uh, you know what here's a great story for everybody to tell their children and to tell themselves all right it's like this is the key to success in life it was a wintry day in minneapolis it was february so maybe it's two weeks later after this and i was i had i was scheduled already long before the clinton thing i was six months ahead scheduled to teach a class um at burnsville high school for it was an evening class just one day for three hours and uh, it was on persuasion and uh, winter winter day comes up and it's like 18 inches of snow that's about a half a meter of snow on the ground and not easy to drive through no matter where you live yeah. in this world and i was like you know what i've never canceled anything but maybe we should cancel this this is a tough one you know and i've i thought about it and i i was like yeah you know what screw it we're just going to get in the snow we're going to drive we'll be late i'm going i'm going to do this damn thing and so we get over there to the high school and I, it was empty. The place is empty, but there were six people, six, excuse me, six people were in the uh, classroom that I was going to teach in that night, six. At the back of the room, there was sitting a man wearing a suit. I couldn't believe he's wearing a suit with a snowstorm. I mean, a heavy blizzard going out of snow. There's six people here. Six people showed up to listen to Kevin Hogan talk. I couldn't believe it. I was like, really? <laughs> That's pretty sweet. I, I, was, I was shocked. So at the end of the day, he comes up to me at nine o'clock, he says, you know what? He says, uh, he says, how would you like to, to be adjunct faculty at the University of St. Thomas? This is this is our Oxford in the, mid, yeah, in the mid- United States. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. Like doing what? Like, what would I do? I go, nobody at school likes me anymore. You know, it's like he said, oh, no. He says, you came and did a you came and did an event on a blizzard night. Six people here actually wanted to see you so bad that we all came out. And your class was really, well, he said some really nice things. It was, he said it was excellent. And it was a great night and wanted uh-huh. to represent the university. And this is, this is the whole point. Once I got into the University of St. Thomas, and, and this is just two weeks after Clinton, it was already scheduled, and it proves the point that you just made. It was already scheduled six months ago, and the timing was coincidental. And, and so I went to work six months later at the University of St. Thomas for the next four years. That brought me all of the major corporate gigs in Minneapolis area. And right. once I was thinking for Cargill and Pillsbury and all these companies, then all of a sudden everybody around the world started hearing about Kevin Hogan. Words, tra- words travel, good or bad, about you. They travel very fast in the world. 
and uh, the word traveled pretty well. And literally, the rest is history. It's pretty amazing. I can't even believe it to this day. Excellent. Well, there's a massive lesson there for people at home. There's that old cliche, isn't there? Oh, he, he was lucky. He was in the right place at the right time. But the, the truth is, if you hadn't have trekked through that snow, um, the next bit wouldn't have happened. You wouldn't have got offered the university residency, and that wouldn't have the other doors from that wouldn't have opened. So. You know, luck is that moment when preparation meets opportunity and persistence and actually putting some grafting. Uh, what looks like luck quite often is actually hard work. I mean, you've got to ask yourself, with snow that bad, would you have actually got on the road and gone? You know, I know there's a lot of viewers that wouldn't have done, but they're the viewers who wouldn't get the doors opening like Kevin did. So, I mean, that, that's a massive lesson. It's totally true. And by the way, this I think this is the secret to success, really, when it all comes down to it and it boils down to I just we just finished creating a course on success, actually. I was very tempted to not do so. And was, yeah, actually, people ask me all the time, how do you like become successful at X? And really, this is like the starting point. It's get yourself out there, show up. I mean, it sounds cliche almost, but literally, if you do show up, there's a lot of people that don't. And Really, the best competitor is the person who shows up, the person who works the hardest, prepares the hardest. This is true in hypnosis, NLP, in yeah. every field out there. And people will become as good as they show up. You know, how do you look? How do you do? Are you there? Are you given a thousand percent? All those things matter more than people know. So, yeah. And thank you for pointing that out. I appreciate it. No, I mean, it's pure gold, as you mentioned. Now, I, I noticed we all, we all obviously, when we're selling stuff, marketing is a part of what we do, whether it's, which is persuasion. Marketing is another form of persuasion, obviously. But when I mention persuasion to the viewers at home in the context of Kevin, obviously he markets his business. So there's that element of marketing persuasion. But then his business is to teach people persuasion. Amongst that is what you hypnotherapists might call uh, Ericksonian language patterns, covert hypnosis. What's the sort of different areas of what of what you teach? Well, covert hypnosis was that was fun. That was the development that development of that um, concept. That I coined the term. I, I'm always really proud of that. Covert hypnosis is my phrase. I coined it. It's exciting to have been that person to have done that, and uh, it's taken off. I mean, people have taken it in different directions, and they've taken it some. People have taken it towards the NLP or towards hypnosis or or actually towards the way that I sort of blended it all together with with the latest you know, neurobiology and science and all that kind of stuff, evolutionary psychology. Covert hypnosis is probably the most important thing I created. That was without question. I, I, um, I had used uh, Stephen Reese at the University of Ohio, his, his approach to psychology, which was basically uh, abnormal psychology may not really exist. And, uh, you know, it's maybe really we're all normal to ourselves, to the world around us in some, we're all weird in some different way to others. And, uh, and I started thinking about that. And then he wrote, he wrote a couple of books, the 16, uh, about the 16 desires. And I dropped a note one day and I said, you know, I'm taking this and I'm running with this and we're going to like make this so that we are sell. And then I'm going to sell my covert hypnosis. And he was cool with it. And I thought that that's great. And so I wrote about the 16 core desires, the things that really drive us. And people, people think that hip, the hypnotic language patterns work because of some like like little door that's in the room, but really it's about how they connect with what a person wants. And so now this is really pretty cool because you know people always ask me about subliminal 
um, messaging and things like that. And can you, can you literally change people? And the answer, of course, is yes, but there's a big caveat here. They're not driven by one of those 16 desires to do the thing that you want them to do. They are not going to be in any way persuaded by subliminal or superliminal messages or persuasion or advertising. So the point is, is, is that our job is not to spew a message at somebody. It's to learn what that person, what is it that makes this person tick? What do they want? How can I help them get it? And it's then that when you, when you hit that button, you hit that button, whatever the person really wants in life or they need in life. We all have different needs, you know. There's mm-hmm. things like stress and food and, and uh, loyalty is a huge one. Uh, connection, uh, the acceptance of other people, all these things. And there's those 16 desires really wire into the Ericksonian language patterns. And we're able to put those two things together, the core desires plus Ericksonian language patterns. And then we, what I did is I sort of flipped it sideways. I was like, let's find what really works. We started testing them in our school. We, um, for what I'm thinking here, I think seven years I had the Minnesota Institute of Hypnotherapy and, uh, boy, that's a lot of work to do that one. Seven years was enough. That was, that was, that was a project. But we, we tested everything. So we would start every, every time we ran a, a big certification training, we would literally test all the hypnotic language patterns with the group that we had. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, this is not a scientific survey because it's these are people already interested in hypnosis. They have some familiarity with the field. But that said, I think we put together the first real valuable information on a new field. And covert hypnosis became that new field. And uh, that's one thing I think that people should look at. And Take it seriously, not just not just the NLP side and the analysis side, but also that, that psychological neurobiological side too. So how does that relate to um, obviously I know the answers to some of these, or at least because I've read your book. No, you do. It's for people at home. <laughs> um, how does that relate to example you say what people want? As we know, wants are different than needs. Oh, <laughs> That's so, the deal. You know, how would it tie in with like Abraham Maslow's hierarchy of human needs in terms of pushing the right buttons? You know, there's a lot of people that disagree with me on that. And uh, that's OK, by the way, because I love people that disagree because they make for a good conversation on Tuesday afternoon. But, <laughs> but, but here's the deal. Abraham Maslow's hierarchy was interesting, but probably not ideal, in my opinion. It was, but, it, but it does provide a place to start from. But it's not where we want to end at because it's more complex than those things. And it's also yeah. not actually really true. A lot of times people will do things out of order from there. So, but anyway, so so the hierarchy of needs can be relevant in, in our work for sure. You know, for sure. We want to make sure people have the basics, food, shelter, clothing, you know, and then move up the scale to self-actualization. There's, there's that logical thing, but it doesn't always work. And I'm always looking for things that work the most often for the most people, you know, what's going to work. And the wants and needs is a really huge distinction. You know, we have, we have to look at what the person wants. Like people don't need food. They need the drugs they're taking today or what, I mean, they really don't need, right. But they, their body believes they're conditioned to need it. And this goes back to, uh, Stephen Reese's work, where once again, it's about biology. It's about what is your body driving you to do? And so instead of, it's so frustrating because it's what the body needs, which turns into a want. The person wants this. I want that girl. I want that food. I want that job. But really, people should be logically and rationally analyzing what they need. So my job 
if I'm going to be working with somebody, mentoring them or talking as a friend, somebody says, hey, Kev, what should I do? I sit there and I first look at it from like what the person wants, because you have to let the person have their emotional carrot. You know, you've, you've got to let that person that you love and care about, like have the carrot and like whatever they want. What do they want? Do they want to be famous? Do they want to be wealthy? Do they want to have a great family? What is it that really pushes the button? What is it that moves them? And then then you mix that with what you think is is the need for the person. What do they really to do? What are their skills really? We should, instead of trying to fix all the weaknesses that we have as humans, the best thing is really to work with your strengths. That's when you look at people, successful people all over the world, they work with their strengths. They found something that they loved, they went for it, and they built on the strengths, and they still suck at texting like me, and they still suck at, at answering emails like me. <laughs> but they're good at a few other things, you know, and that's what really drives the person is when you, when you get into your heart and it's like you really feel it and you want that, Want, that's how you combine the want with the need what would you say and i'm playing devil's advocate with some of these questions because as i say i have read pretty much all your books and i've got to say to the viewers oh, i'm not just saying that because i'm interviewing kevin uh to to be honest when i said at the beginning when i said it's a great pleasure to have him on it really is because I, I just thought it'd be way too busy to fit little old me in um so playing devil's advocate there's different needs and wants but what would you say about the statement, I'm going to make this statement, that the only thing that people really need or want, um, whether they're consciously aware of it or it's at a subconscious level, is to feel safe and happy? Yeah, no, that, that's, that's, I would, I would ask the person to consider once again, what happens in real life when, when this, when you're, you're I have right here, Jonathan, the worst thing on planet earth, which is a cell phone. Okay. Mm -hmm. Except there is an advantage of having a cell phone when your computer won't connect to the, to Skype correctly, having your other cell phone really helps because then you can do an interview, but here's the deal. The phone teaches us everything we need to know about the brain just about. Now, I asked my daughter who is a psychologist, okay? My daughter's a psychologist. She's out in California working with kids with autism. I said, okay. I said what is it about this damn thing that people cannot put it down? What freaks them out? What, what, is the, what is the problem here? She says, Dad, this is an extension of the self. This is an extension of the self. And I had to sit and think about it, what that meant. And I was like, so that means that every time that, that notification goes off, and there's so many different notifications, that we have texts and from Jonathan or Alex, depending on how you want to look at it. And all of, and all of the, the notifications go off. It's like, here's what happens in real life. 95% of the time, the person says, oh, go ahead and look and see what you got. And then they look and they say, oh, it's nothing. Now, had it been something, would you still be talking to the human or would you actually go to the phone? You know, so it doesn't, this thing is both wonderful and disaster, but we learn that just like the slot machine in Las Vegas, okay, just like the slot machine, when the, when the not notification goes off, endorphin gets released in the brain, and it triggers off all these rewards. We want pleasure. We, we want to get out of the pain we're in. Safe and happy. If safe means avoiding that um, pain that you're in and getting out of pain and getting back over to something or towards something that's pleasure, that, that meta program actually works pretty doggone well in real life. So happiness, I think, while interesting, is actually probably overrated and it's really hard to maintain. Daniel Gilbert's Daniel Gilbert's work on uh, happiness probably the best stuff ever. Stumbling on happiness, 
I don't think there's a better book out there. I certainly have never written as good as that. And uh, I, I ask people to look at that work. And happiness is a tough damn thing to achieve. And when you look at how the curve of happiness changes over life, and by the way, there's a, there's a I want your all your audience to look at this website hedonometer hedonometer another hedonism hedonometer.com uh -huh. hedonometer.com is uh, Twitter analyzed every single day for the last 13 years. We know how happy the world is every single day. The world right now is in downturn. Right now we're at close to the lowest point in the last 13 years. Not the lowest point. That was in 2000. 11, but the lowest point, we're close. And so you can actually measure happiness by the words that people use and their expressions that they use on Twitter. And that's what's happening right now. These are the things that go along with that pleasure pain that the Meta program, safe and happy. Those are important things. I love the idea of happiness. It's very interesting, you know? And by the way, the happiest days of the year are almost always Christmas, Christmas, New Year's, and Mother's Day. Three days that revolve around family and hope. Mm. I don't know why, but the word connection just sprang into my head there as well. That's exactly right. And so what we really need is is, is companionship and love. And the safety is for sure important. People need to feel safe or they, or they run, right? That's a for sure. But I think happiness, and as much as I'm happy in this right now, it's great to be talking to you here with a wonderful person. It's great to be in Paris. Like You can't ask for much better than that in life. But at the same time, as you work every day, and you know this, you've been doing this work for 20 years. Every single day is not a happy day. You know, there's all kinds of challenges that you face in business every single day, especially for people that are business people, therapists, entrepreneurs. We have the, I mean, honest to God, guys, if you're in sales, you're working. If you're a therapist, you're working. If you're an entrepreneur, you're working. Okay. Everybody else already has a job. Every single day, you and I go to work, and the person listening almost certainly this does too and they have to not only do the job but they have to get the next one and you have to get the next one and you have to get the next one and so the better that you get the more you find that you're proud of your work so pride that becomes a huge thing how good did i do compared to what i could have done i can't be good at you as some of the things that you do it's not possible but i can be as good as i can at things that i'm good at and that's really what i want people to look at safety and happiness great 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 question so that segues because you mentioned then that, you know, pretty much everyone watching is very likely lower probabilities because of the nature of the target audience to run their own business. Um, and therefore, we're selling products or services or time consultancy might be slightly different for some people. So in terms of persuasion, I guess people watching will probably be thinking, what tips have you got for persuading people that they are the right therapist to come to as opposed think, to all the others. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, one day uh, there was a, you, you know who Kenrick is, Kenrick Cleveland, right? Kenrick? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Kenrick is a good guy. He's got, he's got quite a bit of good material on linguistic programming and hypnosis. And uh, he and I have talked over the years on and off for, for forever and uh, a good guy with good work. And one day, a guy in, the, in my audience, Las Vegas, says, says, I'm thinking of taking, you know, your training next week. I'm also thinking of going to see Kenrick. And I said, you know what? Don't don't come to mine, first of all. Go over to Kenrick's, okay, and then come to mine next year. And he says, the whole audience just shut up. Everybody was quiet. Because this is, 
I really believe counterintuitive wakes people up. Okay, so I did. He did go to Kendrick's event. He loved it, and he came to mine the next year. One of the things that we have in persuasion is is we don't need to have. If we need the sale today, we're operating off of fear. And if we're operating off of fear, if you need something that badly, it's almost like a drug, and it's probably not good for you. The better thing to do, the way, the better way to look at life, generally speaking, is look at this as if like, oh, I would like to have that, and there will be a time when I can do that. Or, but if your client says to you, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, doing some therapy, and I'd like to do therapy with somebody, good, you know, like, could you help me? You have to say, well, I have some questions for you. Let's let's turn this. First of all, turn it around. You know, yes, I'm amazing. I'm wonderful. I'm incredible. Yeah, absolutely. Come and work with me. This is not going to be helpful for any. So the question is, is your situation, do you have tinnitus? Do you suffer from chronic pain, fibromyalgia, or environmental illness? No, then I'm probably the wrong person for you. Okay. That's my, those are the things that I've worked with people forever on. But but if somebody says, Kevin, I have cancer, I'm the wrong person. Okay. A hundred percent of the time. And I'll refer that person out. And so whatever the Whatever all the other things are, I just want to be the best person at the things that I'm the best at. And I'll work with those people. And if somebody says, you know, I heard you're pretty good at working with people that have tinnitus, for example, I'll say, that's probably something that you heard that was correct. Maybe other stuff wasn't, but you probably were right on that one. You know, so being honest is helpful. All right. And but at the same time, there's no reason to not humble at the same time as being truthful. You know, be proud of your work, but you don't need to bring it to the world. And I think. When, you, when we get into business, this happens with chiropractors too, where um, they go to school and they spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on their education. Nobody tells them how to run the, how to like actually build a business, no. like grow a business, right? And the same thing is true with psychologists that have private practice. Same thing is true with hypnotherapists. Same thing is true with NLPers. Okay, great. I have all this training. Now what am I going to do? I have no idea. That's because your NLP trainer kind of let you down a little bit. Like he could have shown you like, what to do with that. Because he's not dumb. He got you into his office. So, yeah. So I want I want to, I want people to not worry so much. It's like don't worry so much. Okay. You know, I was talking with my girlfriend today, and we were talking about like meeting certain people, and she says, oh, "I'm a little nervous about meeting this person." I was like, "You know what? Don't worry about it. You're you're going to be surprised on how much better it goes than you anticipate. Because usually people are on their best behavior when they meet people. Yeah. Almost almost always." Almost always. And so the cool thing that we can do is is to realize that things are going to work out better in most situations than we anticipate, as long as we anticipate that. As long as we anticipate that. Oh. So anticipate it. Self-fulfilling prophecies almost. Pygmalion is true. Yeah, absolutely. The, we, we need self-fulfilling prophecy. What you're certain of is what is is so contagious. When somebody's certain about anything, the person who's the most certain in the room is the one who's going to get sale. Uh, so I'm happy to just, you know, people come to my home, they'll come and visit literally from everywhere in the world that I've had some of the coolest people at the house. And they're always surprised where about half the time, well, most of the time, 80% of the time, I'll actually sit on the floor. They sit in, in a nice couch and I'll sit and I'll look up at some of the most I mean, people from the White House or whoever. And they're like, why do you sit on the floor? And I'm like, you know why? Because when I was a kid, I had nothing. And I'm still the same person that I was then. I'm just a little bit taller with a little bit more hair hair on the, on the face. And uh, so, yeah. 
interesting phrase. You're still the same person you were. Authenticity. Being your true mm-hmm. self. Um, how does that integrate in with persuasion? There's all this bullshit think, about fake it till you make it, but I think people pick up on it. I think that I hate I hate when people bullshit anybody. I, I don't I don't. Uh, one of one of the sayings we have around our office uh, is uh, the truth always pays in the long run. It doesn't always pay today. How do I look, Kev? Tristan, today you don't look so amazing. Okay, please don't throw the the computer at me. Don't throw the laptops at me. You know, but but if she asks, I really will tell her the truth. I will say it in a very loving and caring way to anybody. But I do tell the truth pretty much, except for Santa Claus. Okay, all right. Okay, but that's about it. You, know, you got to tell people. I lied one time. I went. My mom was in a nursing home and she was passing on. And uh, and, and I, I walked into the room and I said, "Mom, you look great." And she said, "Kevin Lynn Hogan, you are lying." I said, "Mom, you look like crap," <laughs> but I love you. She says, now you can come and sit by me. Be real. Be real. Because that's what people really want. That's when they know that you're for real, that you're like a real person. That's so rare in the world today. Everybody's out there stealing stuff and lying and bullshitting people. Be a real person and you'll be rare. And people will recognize that you're rare and unique. And it's these people who are the people who... The psychopaths will all run the country, okay? (laughs) (laughs) There's nothing you can do about that. No matter what, I'm in France. Same thing here. Same thing up in the UK. Same thing in everywhere. But as far as succeeding in business, the authentic person is going to have the best long-term career. Excellent. So, Rich, um, crikey, I, I did what this just entered my head then. Um, yeah, there's that old saying. What do you make of the old saying then? Uh, I think it's aligned with what you've just said of um, people buy people. They don't buy products. I've heard Kevin Hogan say that before. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm pretty certain I probably read it in one of your books. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's one of those little. I'm proud of that phrase. That's, that's made it around the world, apparently. Um, yeah, people do buy people. They don't buy products. Actually, so there was somebody who wrote a book countering that, and I was like, bullshit. <laughs> you know, you can I, – I, I'm a gold buyer. I love gold, the, the, the metal, okay? And okay. I've been buying gold for 14 years. I bought it when gold was basically between three and $400. Almost everything I have was purchased then. Gold is still a good price today. So anyway, so but I bought almost all of my gold from a very specific man on eBay, and he was a burn victim. And uh, he, he had such fast service uh, that I one day I asked him, I said, how did you get that from Las Vegas to Minneapolis in one day? He says, I overnighted it to you. I want you as a customer forever. Yeah, exactly. I was like, damn, that is really good. And I learned something. And so I got on video chat with him, on, and I was talking to him one night. And I, he was a burn victim. He looked terrible, just terrible. And I told him that, too. I said, you look terrible. <laughs> I go, how do you make a living? And he says, Kev, he says, I do the same thing that you do. You know, it's like, just be honest. You know, I look like a burn victim on most days. But <laughs> the, <laughs> the deal is, is that, that I learned a great lesson that day. Like, he was, he was seeking his disadvantage, but, and he was using eBay by selling a great product, which is a commodity. Commodity means it's the same everywhere, except for it doesn't get sold the same way. He sold it. He told me a great story. He gave me great service. Didn't tell me he was a burn victim. Didn't mm-hmm. say that. Overnighted it to you because I want you as a customer forever. I bought the next 40 
50 pieces of gold from him. You know, that's a lot of ounces of gold. That's $75,000 of, of gross business that I gave him. And plus, I've told the story about 200 times around the world. You know, that's how you build a business, right? That's how you grow it. So for what it's worth. No, I mean, th- th- these are all gold insights. Now, people watching, if you go on YouTube and you type in Kevin Hogan, um, you will get tons and tons of videos that have got really, really good content in. So, you know, after this interview, there's loads of other stuff to go and look in, in, into. But two that show up, if you just put the name Kevin Hogan in Google, two of the main videos that show up, on the preview, so that means they're ranked really um, high by Google and whatnot. One of them's called the number one persuasion strategy, and the other ones are called the seven magic phrases of persuasion. Oh yeah. I just yeah. made a note of those two titles before we came on because people can go and watch them, obviously. But I mean, go on, give us some tips. Give us some tips. Okay, so so those are two great tips, those two YouTube videos. So let's do something that's not on those two YouTube videos. All right, cool. All right, so let's give people something they don't know about. All right, so there's a little th- – in your office, in your house, you have sticky notes, post-it notes. Yeah. Any, anytime you put something on the counter as a post-it, like, honey, pick up, the, pick up milk at the store today. Ah, oh, damn, I hate the color of that note. It's yellow. It's purple. It looks gross. The counter is clean. Why did Kev put that? Well, Kev put it there to get your attention. So the post-it note actually is one of the most predictive triggers in the world, the post-it note. We hate to see them, especially when there's a whole bunch of them. It's like, oh, you got to do something. And when people use a post-it note, say, I love you, or you're amazing, or you're fabulous, or you're doing a great job, or well done, or amazing, fantastic, cool, you know, or excellent. You know, one those are the things, the post-it note's an amazing trigger. All the research, you can probably Google Kevin Hogan post-it note. It'll give you the Harvard Business Review. I did an article for them maybe four years ago, I think it was, on the post-it note. But the basic concept here is just write a short little note. Don't ever write Kevin's full name, Kevin Hogan do this or Kevin Hogan do that. Put Kev, you know, like the person's, the way that we communicate with that person. Say, Kev, pick up or Kev, do this, Kev, do that. And then it gets done. And always put your initial at the bottom. That's the secret code for getting people to do something. Secret code, or to feel something, or to believe something. That post-it note is gold. So Google Kevin Hogan post-it note, or sticky, excuse me, sticky note Harvard Business Review. You'll either get my article. I don't care where you read it. It's it's there. We we've got massive amounts of research backing up this crazy little tool. That's a cool one. Yeah. Um. Wow. And. I'm going to go off on a tangent, really, here. And I know you do covert hypnosis and training. You've got the book out, Covert Hypnosis, an operator's manual, uh, amongst others. Um, And this is plain devil's advocate, because I do believe that there are certain things about language patterns that do work, uh, clearly, because it's an integral part of hypnotherapy, let alone everyday communication. But I think, and I'm not saying your stuff, um, although to some degree this would apply to everyone, including you, but I think this is more aimed at other courses out there. I won't mention names, but so-called conversational hypnosis courses and stuff. 
I personally think a hell of a lot of it's bullshit and that the real power in it is not so much the technique and whether it works or not on, on the individual it's being used on, because frankly, I don't think that really does work most okay. of the time. I think it's because the person who has bought into this course, I've got a secret technique, a covert influence technique, it may give them more self-confidence mm-hmm. in situations. In actual fact, it's that self-confidence uh, and perhaps heightened charisma uh, because they're more relaxed in the situation that actually causes them to be more influential rather than this magic technique as such. What do you make of so, that? I, well, first of all, I'd like to I'd like to make your argument for you even further if I can, and then I want okay. you to bring it back to the other side. Okay. So so let's just go with what you just said. First of all, it, it goes even further than that. I think when when you buy a product from or you read a book by say Kevin Hogan or, or by yourself or somebody else out there who's respected in the field, like you believe this person knows what the heck they're talking about. I really want their information. Like selling on happiness by Daniel Gilbert or something by Daniel Ariely, something you know that's real life and at the same time is backed up by university work that you know is legit. It's, this, yeah. this is good. Okay. So when you when you when the doctor gives you the placebo genetically, there is about 40% of the people in the world that are wired literally genetically to respond well to placebos. This is the cool thing in life, by the way. Not all of us are wired to respond to placebos. So let's just make the point that you're making, but make it stronger. Just say, Kev, I think you're a big placebo is what I think, okay? Because by the way, that's the biggest compliment anybody could ever give you. So in other words, because what you just really said is, Kev, just by looking at you or just by coming to your house or just by going to your office or just talking to you, I feel better. I, 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 I love people more. I care more about people. But I think all the techniques are crap. Like, cool. How's the result? (laughs) Like, do you feel happy or successful? Or did you get a lot of gold from the guy? Or, you know, business going better? Here's the I want people to succeed. And I do have an opinion, a really strong opinion on the other side of your question. But I think that people should look at what you say really importantly. Um, when people when people hear when a Republican hears something from Donald Trump in the United States of America, the person is dead certain that the man is correct. Forty five percent of Americans are absolutely convinced beyond a question of doubt what Trump said is 100 percent correct, even if opposite was said by uh, a competitor, Hillary Clinton or mm-hmm. Elizabeth yesterday. OK. This, these are just facts. This is how the human mind affects. We resonate with this person, and all of a sudden, because he said it, it's true. And that is how our brains work, the fact. By the way, that is part of covert hypnosis, too. You need – now, can I go back to your side of the equation? Yeah, go on. Okay. <laughs> so, so the deal is, is I want everybody out there to work on becoming a walking placebo. I want people to walk into your presence and feel better instantaneously. And that comes with you having – Reputation of authenticity and certainty. And by the way, let's do the certainty. The certainty. Certainty is here, okay. and then cockiness and and arrogance here. Overconfidence is here, and confidence is here. Now, here's the irritating thing: that cocky guy over at the bar, like over there, the cocky guy, the arrogant one, he's the guy that gets the girl. And you think, how can that happen? He's such an arrogant dude, and he's so. Jonathan, I got a secret for you guys. Don't tell anybody this watch my own videos. <sighs> oh, 
about 50% of the time I'm watching a Kevin Hope video, I sit there and I say, who does he think he is talking to people like that? <laughs> it's like, that's awfully arrogant, you know? And I really think that. I'm, I, I think I wouldn't say, oh, that is me, you know? But <laughs> so the fact of the matter is, is that that arrogance, that cockiness actually, um, as irritating as it is in the moment, it drives people kind of nuts. But that there is that quality that actually is part of the Pygmalion effect or the placebo effect, the self-fulfilling prophecy effect. And it really is important. Now, once you know you you are a walking placebo, people come up to you, literally, there's certain, not everywhere on this planet, nobody knows me in France. I'm sitting here, I walk down the street, I, nobody knows who the hell I am here. And it's actually pretty nice. You, I walk around, I do the same thing in Poland, I take, take two stops over on the flight, Everybody knows who Kevin Hogan is. They're like, Kevin Hogan, can I get you? You know, it's like, I'm a walking placebo in Poland. I'm a walking nothing in Paris. <laughs> and that's a fact. And so with your audience, whoever your audience is, become the walking placebo. Let people know who you are. Realize that you're not going to have that impact on everybody. You know, it just doesn't work that way in real life. But realize that you can be a walking placebo for 40% of people in your demographic, in your audience, and you can be the Donald Trump or the Angela Merkel or the whoever for for your business, which is really what you want. You want people to to, to look at you because you you want to be right. By the way, you got to be right. Being right really helps. Mm -hmm. Being being accurate and, and correct and having people's interest in heart. If you have those two things, you're going to win most of the time in life. So be right. Have people's best interests for real at heart. Like you serve them first, get paid later. That's really critical. If people do this, then they'll become that walking placebo. They will have that self-fulfilling prophecy effect on other people. I literally know that when I go to people will come up to me. They will want the autograph. They will want to say thank you so much for everything, blah, blah, blah. I literally know when I go to the UK, I go to downtown London, I go into London in one of the, in one of the, I, I've been to London 60 times probably, live there, and nobody knows who I am in London. My, my demo, I, yes, I have a nice audience, 11% of our, of our businesses is in London. But the reality is, is that if I go to Singapore or if I go to um, uh, Warsaw or if I go to Bratislava uh, or if South Korea or if uh, Japan, people know the name. And so find out, know what your audience and then work within your strengths and be the walking placebo. I couldn't agree with you more there because, you know, and, and also the fact that the placebo is a highly positive thing. I've said this in a lot of the interviews and, you know, it's not the negative thing. People hear the word placebo and think it's a criticism. But the fact is, if it helps somebody get the result that they want in the context of a hypnotherapy session, then use it for Christ's sake, you know. If the person gets well, that's all I care about. Honest yeah. to God. I want, it, I want it to be the most often. I get really upset when things don't work the way I want them to. I take great pride in having a good track record. It really matters to me. And, and that person's health, I take it not only as my, my situation, but their situation. And gosh, you know, if people look at people as people instead of dollar signs, if you look at people in, as like humans that like are your best friend tomorrow, you know, like this person could be my best friend tomorrow. And then you don't look at them as a wallet or a bank or a dollar sign. Mm -hmm. or a pain sign for example you know that's that's where it begins is like within yourself like looking at people like they really that's that's really the deal and that's where it begins that authentic part and authenticity should not be 
poo-pooed by in any way. Being a real person really matters. You can still make money, by the way, with you can be a jerk and you can rip people off and steal and you'll make money. You can become a millionaire by robbing a bank, not a problem, right? But can you have a good life where you're proud of yourself and you can tell your mom and your grandma and they'd look at you and you're like, Kev, you did okay for yourself. You know, you, you were a good dad, you did good. You know, that's that's what you want in life. You want people if to having, go. If having shitloads of money and the big houses and the flash cars was the key key to it all in life, then the simple fact is there wouldn't be so many celebrities who are addicted to drugs, alcohol, uh, sex addicts, people who end up losing it all because they just they're actually not really happy because it hasn't fulfilled them. It, that's because we want things. Whenever somebody wants things instead of uh, connection in some way, some one of those connection pieces, things really I look at things as, as there's special things. There's all around my house. I'm not at home right now. Obviously, I'm in Paris. I'm on, I'm on holiday. But in my home around around the uh, entire house, actually, is is it's little things, little dinky little things that my kids gave me years ago, mm-hmm. things that friends give me, fans have given everywhere, coffee cups, things about, you know, T-shirts that, that say that Kevin's amazing. <laughs> they're, all, they're all around the house. And, it, and it's so doggone nice to to live that life instead of saying i want a rolls royce i do have a big house i confess and i that's because i grew up in 600 square feet with eight people you know or 60 square meters with eight people for seven years it's like that's just too many mom but i love <laughs> you know and so as you get older you're like okay it's not gonna do casserole macaroni and cheese or tuna ever again but <laughs> I will have a big house, you know, but as far as like needing the, needing the car, I couldn't care less. I don't even know how cars work. You know, I'm totally ignorant. How do you, where's the gas go anyway? I'm, I don't know. I'm, I'm driving a 10 year old car. I'm driving a 10 year old car. I drive in the neighborhood. People look at me like, does he even belong in this neighborhood? You know, all these athletes and stuff, right? They're like, that Kevin Hogan guy is weird. You know, it's pretty cool. I get to talk to all their dogs. They all love me. So. You know, I'd say, I know, I know he wasn't a hypnotist, but uh, the British magician, the late British magician, no longer with us, Paul Daniels, um, when he, he was regularly on television year after year after year for decades, and at the time he had the Porsche with the personalised number plate, magic, and then he had Lamborghinis, Ferraris, you name it, he had all the cars, and then he kind of lost, his TV series got lost in about the mid-90s, um, he still had his money. He'd saved. He'd, he'd, he'd invested wisely, and he was still demanding a high fee for live performances. Um, but then he kind of made a comeback a few years before his death, of television-wise, on reality shows and all this kind of stuff. But he wasn't driving around in the Porsche any longer. He had the money too. And I saw him at a, a lecture, and he was asked, "Why not the Porsche? Why not the Ferrari? Why not the Bentley? You know?" And he said, well, to be honest, he said, I reached that point in life where I realized that this Prius I've got is more comfortable, it's more <laughs> efficient on fuel, and it doesn't stand out uh, uh, as much, so it's less likely to be nicked. And his priorities had totally changed. They weren't focused on, oh, I've got, I've got to feel like I've got to do the Mr. Celebrity thing. Sometimes people do things, don't they? Because they feel they should do it to fit in with other people's expectations. What do you make of that? Well, 
no, that's 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 the person who's going to ultimately fail. They can have short-term success because we'll get those little long-term um, carrots or short-term carrots that you want, like the car. If if whatever people, I always tell people there, there's a, there's a a couple of uh, gurus out there that'll say that you should chase you should should chase money that you should chase that basically means do anything you can for money. This to me is appalling. I think that. Uh, it's madness, actually. Um, the opposite is the case. Yeah, sure. If you, if, you know, I can't imagine why somebody would need a Porsche, but maybe they need a Porsche for the same reason they need a house, you know, a specific kind of house. So God bless the guy for wanting his house or his Porsche. It's fine. Excuse me. But really, it's the deeper values that really are going to ultimately create long-term success for people. It's it's not the thing like here's like I'm I don't even know what it's a coffee coffee mug or something mm. or what not a yeah. Eh, you set your coffee on it, whatever Coaster. it's called. Yeah, Coaster. that's what I'm looking for. A poster. That's my aphasia coming in. I hate it when that happens live. Okay, so. Boy, if you could program that in for. Okay, so anyway, so it's a coaster. Now, you could buy one of these for a million dollars or you could pay 50 cents like this one cost. So you don't need to have the million dollar one. And if you need the thing to make you feel better, boy, it better have a lot of sentimental value or emotional value attached to it. But just to have a thing because it's a thing seems really iffy to me you know I, I would encourage people to really a thing it's a thing if people can get a thing it's not an experience it's not a person it's not it's a thing i get worried about things you know people wanting a thing or they're gonna like i want that trip you know the trip is nice by the way being in paris is cool but if you're living for travel it's probably not right either because you're living to leave i travel because i live on the road I mean, I, I travel a lot. I stay, I'm out of the U.S. probably four months out of the year, and I like that. It's cool. I've learned so much coming to the U.K. and Europe over the years. Probably more than any lesson I've learned in my life is realizing that America isn't the best at everything. No. You know? <laughs> Did you know that, that, by the way? Yeah. Um, you know? So you say, right, don't go for the thing. But Pat, I mean, consciously, they may be going, oh, I want that holiday or I want that car. But unconsciously could it be that the reason for that is because they either consciously or don't know that what they're seeking really is the feeling of what they think attaining that will make them feel like now we know that reality doesn't always end up the same does it but no that's that's the thing is when people when people chase for the thing or chase money for money for the purpose of the thing or money and money Money is so important. We we do want to have money. It's it's really important. You cannot help your friend in, in uh, Ogaden or in Somalia or Ethiopia, you know, or help the kids like we just did in Poland this Christmas. You can't do it without money. People can, and people can say all they like. Oh well, you know, you're just you know you're you're wealthy. So what's the difference? Well, here's the deal. We can actually make a change in people's lives. A lot of them for what we do every year. And money's money matters, but. Did you do it for the money or did you do it because you want to see things change in the world around you? You know, by the way, it's okay to be proud. You want to do something for somebody else. It's okay that you want to love somebody. It's okay that you want to take care of them. And it's okay to be proud of yourself for doing it. But if you're chasing the money, you will fail ultimately because money is just a thing. It's just a thing. And by the way, it's going to be worth less tomorrow than it is today. But your intention, the, the desires that you have, what you want to do for people and how you want to change and what you want to feel for yourself too, the pride that you get for yourself. Those things don't change. Once you've done something good, 
you have that right resource and reference for the rest of your life, you know, you, know, you did it. And, and that story lasts forever. That's why stories, that's why Kevin Hogan talked. I mean, I just became addicted to talk about addictions to the story. Story was so cool. And of course, I heard this from Milton Erickson. I didn't come up with this idea. So story is really probably the most valuable thing in the world that we have. It's the stories that we have that we can tell and share that we get. Richard Bandler does a great job with stories. He's one of the best storytellers I've ever heard. And he will take you from here to where you thought you were going to somewhere else quicker than just about anybody in the world. I think I'm catching up so fast. Mm. Um, I, I, I agree entirely with what you've just said, but now let's flip it around. So for the people watching, no, you shouldn't be chasing the money. That should come as a by result of following your passion and having a bigger kind of goal and, uh, and dream and aims and stuff. But from a persuading others point of view, so this could be yours, a therapist, um, your client comes in, knowing that there are people out there who are pursuing the money, mm-hmm. so to speak, or want the holiday or want the car, Surely that can be a powerful tool in terms of if you can make them believe that doing certain things is going to get them that benefit that they think they want, that it's easier to leverage them to to, to, to do the other things required for whatever the context may be. So the question is, right, is, is the, is the short term, trigger or desire to have the thing, whatever the thing, the car, the, 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 the cruise or whatever, is that, uh, isn't that, is that good enough all by itself? And be maybe in a short, I don't know, I'm trying to think of an example where I'd be okay with that in therapy. Um, actually, I probably wouldn't, by the way, uh, in general, be okay with having a client pursue something for the purpose of getting that. Really, I got to think much longer term. They're not going to be able to see me forever. So I want to, I really... I'm going to let one of the other, one of your others, because uh, you've got some good people coming up here. So I'm going to let one of the others who is really on that side of the page uh, take that question, because that's a heck of a good question. And I really don't like the answer uh, that, that that much. So that'd be a fun debate to have, by the way, someday. So well, I would say, that, that, I mean, that in itself is a good answer, Kevin. The fact if it doesn't feel right to you, uh, that even exploring the exploring that then obviously that is a wonderful answer in itself because the lesson to be learned is you've got to be comfortable in what you're doing as a therapist to project the right intent to the client and, and all that kind of stuff hasn't you that's true and that's why somebody else should address that question <laughs> <laughs> excellent so um Okay, if somebody was to come to you, which I'm sure they will, because they will be visiting your website, they will be buying your books, they will be going, getting your CDs, your DVDs, all that kind of stuff to learn more. But if, if, if they were there right now and they knocked on the door, hypothetically speaking, and they said, Kevin, I've just, I've just started studying hypnotherapy and I want to be the best possible hypnotherapist I can be, both in terms of getting clients and making money, could have but not money for the sake of it in the context of what we've already spoke about. Um, and also in terms of helping the clients get the results they want in the quickest, but longest lasting, safe, ethical manner possible. In the context of persuasion strategies, language patterns, whatever, 
What would your top three bits of advice be? Oh, brother. What a question. Wow. Um, you know, nobody's ever asked me that specific question. That's a great question. Um, I'm going to just think for a second before That's I answer. That's fine. Of course. Yeah. Right. I don't have I don't have enough success on that. Uh, I think the biggest piece of advice is that hypnotherapy is a business, first of all. OK, you have to pay the bills and you have to take care of your family. So you have to treat it like a business. Right. And that means that you're a brand. OK, so let's yeah. let's do that. OK, so the reason that some people succeed and some people fail is because they haven't they don't get that they're a brand. And they say people say, well, I'm a person. I'm, I don't, I'm not really any. No, you're a brand. Every single person looks at you and most of them think the same thing. Okay? Most of them think the same thing. What are those things? That's what makes that Campbell soup brand. I think that's Campbell. Is it Campbell soup up there? It is. I, yeah. I, just, I literally just arrived. So. Yes. So there you go. So Campbell soup. And I want everybody to be Campbell soup. I want them to be their own Campbell soup. Like what is it that makes you unique? And until you know that, I don't want hypnotherapists practicing as hypnotherapists. I want hypnotherapists practicing as a hypnotherapist with a specialty in the relief of pain, for example. Okay. A hypnotherapist with a specialty of diabetes, hypnotherapy with a specialty of cancer, something like that. And then become an expert, like the best, like nobody does it better than you. You don't need to tell anybody because it already got written. You, people already came to you and they told the world. And how do you know you succeeded when people think, oh, he's not that good. And you know you have your competitions. They're driving you crazy. You know, it's really all good. So that's the first thing. Build a, build a brand. Build yourself into a brand. Find those attributes about you. What is it about you that makes you unique to everybody else? That's the first thing I would tell somebody. Second thing I would do is make sure that people see, first of all, probably Erickson is the first person that they should study. Almost everybody. Never stop studying and don't study garbage. And there's a lot of garbage in our field. Wow, I don't know every single name you have coming this week, so I'm not going to share what garbage means to me. But, <laughs> but here's the deal. To me, a, a quality trainer, somebody who's really, really good at something, is going to like want to not just teach his, his people um, like the tools, just the toolbox, but to give them like the bigger context of like, and here's how you use that in a practice, and here's what you do. So brand, it starts with brand, and then become the expert at the, the actual modalities that you have at your fingertips. Yeah. I really like regression hypnosis. I really like um, uh, the concept. I, 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 I spun some of Tad James' uh, timeline therapy stuff, and uh, I, I kind of shifted it around, and I tested some stuff and kind of flipped that around 20 years ago. And I really like what we came up with it. And I like Tad's work, by the way. But Is I this the kind of stuff you cover in your new hypnotherapy handbook? Exactly. Yeah, the ego state therapy. Uh, Jerry Kine called it parts work, and uh, you know uh, Watkins called it ego state therapy. And there's a million different names for it. But I really have found that tool to be probably one of the most useful tools in the toolkit. So learn how to. I mean, for maybe that's just me, by the way. Just because it works doesn't mean it's going to be the best for somebody else. Mm -hmm. Look at it at least. Try it a hundred times, and if you find that I'm wrong, then don't use it. I mean, I'm, I could be easily wrong, but is what works right i mean find what works and then so that would be the second thing is, is study and study the academicians but here's here's the secret too the academicians often come to the lay uh, therapists and actually come to those trainings because they're dying for more material that works because what worked at university not work in real life 
And so they're actually coming to some of the late, late trainings. Now, they don't want me to tell you that. And of course, I, I live in the middle world where people on both sides love or dislike me. And that's okay too, by the way. You know, that's mm-hmm. all right. So, but my job is to be the bridge between the two worlds. You know, that's what I hope I accomplish as opposed to being all. And then the third piece of advice I would tell is to actually start looking at your motive. Like, what's your purpose here? Like, when your client comes in the door, like, what do you really want to happen here? My goal, I see clients for a long period of time. I'm not a quick change artist. I don't see, I mean, you can, you can get a person to change their mind in five seconds for anything. Okay. Now, keep the change, good luck. All right? All right? That's a whole different thing. So, with covert hypnosis, I can get you to change fast. I can get you to change for today. But is that change going to last? So the question is, is, I got them to quit smoking in a session. By the way, that's a fact, okay? That's a fact. They quit smoking that day. But did they stay quit? And how do you know? And this is what I tell people. Check your work. So when I work with a client, we actually measure every single – I work with things that we can measure. So every day we actually chart results. And so the client actually can, like, see the progress on a chart. Here's how much I'm feeling better. Is it going down over time? Is it going up over time? Are we succeeding or failing? And then – don't be so sure of yourself that there's not better information out there, better value out there. Always be willing to look around and test somebody else's stuff, especially if what you're doing is giving you the negative, not so great results. Be honest with yourself so you can be honest with your client. You know, don't just think that you're the best. Eventually think you're the best, but test everything first. And then find what your skill is. So those are the, the three things I think I would share. But that was a hard question. Man. Uh, uh, absolute gold. Um, just two two um things i noted there one again and practically everyone that i've interviewed so far and i'm guessing it's going to be a theme as we carry on uh amongst that answer mentioned about um passion you've got to you've got to know what it is why you're doing it and have long-term aims rather than short-term gains it were and a lot of people also have mentioned, not everyone, but a, a fair number, this whole be sure, test your work. And I think one thing is that a lot of therapists out there delude themselves to the success rates because they assume because they never hear from the client again that it's worked for them. Right. <clears throat> this, is, this is something that once you've been in the field for five or ten years, Unless you're a psychopath or a sociopath, you know, you'll recognize this. And uh, it's the most important thing is, is to, to keep keep up with clients. Gosh, I do. I, I love my clients. I mean, I, every every single client I work with, almost every single, almost everybody, and I work with some pretty cool people, they always invite me to their home to stay. Um, you know, hey, Kev, I heard you're going to be in Serbia. You know, my client, I have a client immediately after this call with you. He's in Serbia. He's already invited me to go to Greece, hang out at his place in Greece. Okay. It's like, you got to love that. It's like, isn't that just the coolest thing? It's like, so not only do they appreciate the work that you're doing, but they want to know you as a person. Yeah. That's kind of a gift. Of course, it's not appropriate until after the work is done. Your job is to get the work done, then complete the relationship. And then go to Greece and hang out with the client. Okay, so that's that's how that part works. By the way, you can't mix this stuff up. But um, yeah, so so that's the deal. Like, why are you doing it? Make sure you're getting it right. Test. Don't ever believe that somebody actually. I mean, there's a lot of people believe that people will quit smoking in one session, and sometimes it does happen. 
But statistically, if I look at all the people who have worked out there, and if I go back and look at all of those people, the facts are the facts. It doesn't work that way in real life. Now, it doesn't mean it's not possible. It doesn't mean that somebody doesn't get that result. Somebody could and probably does. Statistically, bell curve, right? Mm -hmm. Get that result. So it doesn't necessarily mean the person's lying, but it does mean that it's probably not replicable across therapists. So really what we're looking for is the thing that's going to get the best result for the client long term. And then don't try to race through. You have a great toolbox. Hypnotherapists do have a great toolbox. We've been able to pick and choose from a lot of different fields. It's kind of nice. It's like, you know, if you're a psychologist, you're kind of stuck with what's what's in the DSM-4 or five, yeah. six, seven, which is a disaster, by the way, a total disaster. <laughs> so, so ah, but see, we don't have to. We get to be a little more flexible. We get to pick and choose. We get to actually look at metaphysics. We get to look at quantum. We get to look at things that other people can't because it's not acceptable. And I like that flexibility. So get flexible. Yeah. So tying it all together, because obviously we started off talking about persuasion and the fact that people have, I'm going to say, hot buttons, the, 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 the things that will trigger them off. Um, we mentioned needs and wants. I mean, anyone watching this, I say it every week, get a pad and a pen. When it's finished, watch it again and take notes because there's actually more information we've discussed than I'm just overviewing. One thing that stands out from everything is that you mentioned, yeah, you can use a really quick technique, so push the persuasion buttons and get a quick result. But is it really, really going to last? And I think a lot of therapists delude themselves that because the person doesn't start smoking again, that therefore they have... Well, yes, arguably, if they never smoke again, that person has become a non-smoker. However, does it necessarily mean that you've actually solved their problem? Because unless you find the underlying triggers and causes, there's a damn good chance, isn't there, that symptom substitution can take place and it will manifest somewhere else unless the things that were causing them to want to smoke in the first place. I totally doubt that it's likely to manifest somewhere else, isn't it? You answer your own question. Uh, that money back guarantee on that. If, if somebody does quit smoking and they really do quit today, I, I promise you, guarantee it, they have substituted something there. There's something in his plug now. Could be food, could be alcohol, could be, could be not cigarettes, but maybe e-cigarettes or whatever. But they have, definitely, there's no question. And anybody who doesn't know that, been in the the field very long so yeah yeah well i sad because i think there's a lot of therapists who should know better that don't because they want to delude themselves now all right that substitution may be that the person becomes a flipping massive gym junkie and people have same go, thing yeah you know about go well yeah but that's good for them isn't it it's healthy well it isn't <laughs> really? necessarily um, you know what's funny? I, I, you don't see a lot of successful people at the gym. You see a lot of people at the gym who want to be at the gym for the purpose of some other purpose than being at the gym. <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm really biased in this area. I've had so many conversations like, you go to the gym, and, and can you tell me like, what you're doing in life, and how's your family, and like what's going on with your bank account, and are you okay? <laughs> it's okay. There's nothing wrong with being healthy. I love being healthy. I love the fact that people can actually, you know, we can age gracefully or look mm -hmm. better time goes on i think there's a lot of cool stuff out there but yeah I'm, I'm big on people looking at what's really happening people need to evaluate and know how to evaluate their work let's we have to teach people when you're in certification your, your certification training your trainer must be telling has to be telling you 
And here's how you know if you're, what you're doing is working. You know, if the client told you that they quit spinning and their world's perfect and the world's great, God, dog, that's awesome. You know, it's like, let's not, don't, we're going to mess with it. It's also not typical. All right. That's just not, it's not, it's not going to happen all that often. So people who tell other people, this is the way a good tactic to strategize who you want to work with. If somebody's telling you they can choose to stop smoking or stop something in like one day, it's not going to happen. The person is not either, either they're disingenuous or they're, they're just not aware or they're path pathological. And so now you, it's out there for the world. <laughs> yeah. That's no, true. You know, I, I agree, but I think there's a lot of trainers that will tell people that this will use this technique and they'll be dealt with in one session. Pretty much guaranteed. Well, firstly, there's nothing works 100% of the time with 100% of the people. Nope. Anyone who says so, you should bloody run a mile from. Absolutely. And, and if they genuinely believe they've got a technique that works 100% of the time with 100% of the people, then you really want to be asking them, what checks are you doing follow-ups? And mm -hmm. you'll probably find that they're not, or they are, but not for long enough. Um, this is critical. What You're teaching the world here. This is, the, this is exactly the... Everybody should watch this video for what you just said. <laughs> No, for what you've said, because it's in reaction to what you've said, that there's brought that in my head, Kevin, um, because I think it's, there's some very important themes run through the past hour about being true to yourself, uh, that people can pick up on things if you're not, that if you're focused in the wrong direction, e.g. just for the money, as opposed to the bigger picture, that it isn't, you might think you've got the trap into success, but you're never going to feel happy. You've touched on what true happiness really is, i.e. experiences, memories, emotions with people where there's a real connection, not some false um, feeling of worth because of a like on a Facebook post. There's been a hell of a lot of content in the past hour, more than you'll realise at first context uh, or first listening. So do get a pad and paper, as I say, take notes. And then um, be sure he's got tons of books as Kevin, but the ones in particular, I'd say a good starting point, are Invisible Influence, The Psychology of Persuasion, The New Hypnotherapy Handbook, and Covert Hypnosis and Operator's Manual. There's others as well, feel free to get them, but they're the four that personally, I would say if you've not experienced Kevin's work before, get them first. Also seek him out on YouTube and also go to his website, which is kevinhogan.com the link will be below this video when it goes live uh thank you so much for your time kevin it's been an absolute pleasure this was fun it's been a long time so i'm really glad we did this tonight and everybody keep watching this series because you've got one heck of an interviewer here getting the right answers cheers kevin yeah indeed check out hypnosisweek.com past and present editions are there and we'll see you again next sunday uh, on Hypnosis Week, although this may not go out on a Sunday because this is going to go out in launch week, uh, which is this coming week. But otherwise, after launch week, every Sunday at lunchtime, 12pm British time, there will be a new episode added to the site. So thanks once again, Kevin. Everyone get yourself over to kevinhogan.com. Bye for now. <laughs>